I'm Darcy Sterling, and this is We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling. By now, you've probably heard the term love languages. It refers to the different ways people express their love for each other and the extent to which we can feel neglected and even unloved when our partner fails to express their love for us in ways that we recognize as loving. Love languages is a term that was coined 30 years ago by Gary Chapman, a pastor from North Carolina who mostly writes for Christian heterosexual couples, which might beg the question, why is a lesbian mental health provider platforming a concept that a pastor created on a hunch? Well, because there's something about the five love languages that's really taken root in recent years. The term itself makes innate sense to us because most of us have had relationships with someone who intellectually we get loves us, but who just doesn't do the things that would make us feel loved. There's something really intuitive about the possibility that we just might speak different languages when it comes to love, and that our compatibility, or lack thereof, could make or break our relationship. Here with me is my niece and co-host, Ashton Tardiff, armed with what I imagine are a lot of the same questions you have about love languages. Ashton, welcome. Hi, Darcy. How are you? Good. And I'm super excited to talk about today's topic, which is love languages. So let's start with the basics. What are the five love languages? They are words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, touch, and acts of service. So if I have no prior knowledge of love languages, how do I figure out what my love language is or what my partner's is? So thankfully, there's an online quiz. You can go to the number 5lovelanguages.com or just Google love languages quiz and it'll be the first one that comes up in the search. The quiz takes like five minutes to take and mm -hmm. you'll figure it out. But I think for most people, they have an idea. Most of my clients come to me having a sense of what their primary love language is. Most of us speak all of these to some extent but we just have different levels of fluency in each one. I actually remember when you shared this quiz with me during my first relationship and you were like, hey, I think this might be interesting for you and your partner to take. And you are very correct because it was super interesting and it helped inform things about myself and him, which kind of segues into the next question here because I then took this quiz again after that relationship, when I entered my most recent, who is now my ex. And I was a bit, I don't know if puzzled is the word, but I was surprised that my results had actually changed. So can mm. you talk about if they change our love languages, why does that happen? And what is the reasoning behind that happening? Well, you grew. You took it the first time in your early 20s. Yep. And then you took it again two and a half years ago. So mm -hmm. in that span, there's a lot of growth that happened. So particularly people who are your age, you know, there's so much growth and change that happens every few years that for sure the results can be different. And for people of all ages, the results can be different. Mm -hmm. It happens from life experiences. It happens from growing, from just living. When you live you sometimes reflect on the things that matter to you. You sometimes learn things that you didn't like in the last relationship that or that you want more of in the next relationship. Mm -hmm. And then those elements become higher in your results. 
when you take the quiz. Like, for example, I was so surprised that physical touch had actually entered my top three the second time around. And that had never been a top ranking love language for me. And I know you give me shit for this. You're like, I know you're not a hugger. I like totally am now. And I'm open to it, especially with my partners. And I, I realized that I really require that physical touch and validation, whether it just be like a hand on the back when they're passing by or like holding mm-hmm. my hand. And I was like, oh, that means I healed because I used to be kind of uncomfortable with even initiating it or even like receiving it. I'd be like, this is good. Ashton, this is good. Good right. feelings, good touch. Absolutely. And I and I remember over the years saying to you, I'm going to hug you whether you like it or not. <laughs> and you get you get a choice after the entrance hug. Upon coming into the house, you will get a hug, like it or not. And the reason I do that is because, you know, we can live without any of our other needs being met in a relationship. We actually will die without touch. We will die mm. without touch. It is imperative for us to be touched. We know this because we've done really fucked up studies on animals in the past that I'm not going to go into because we don't want to watch me melt down right now, right? <laughs> right. Right. And again, I can't speak to the efficacy of this quiz, but people know if they're uncomfortable with touch or if they're comfortable with touch. And if you've not had negative touch experiences in your life and you just find yourself really not craving it and feeling awkward around it, it very well could be that growing up, your caregivers weren't particularly attuned to the need to show affection physically. And as a result, that need gets shut down in people because you don't want to forever be there yearning for it. So quite adaptively, human beings will shut down needs throughout life that aren't being met. But you were way too young for me to throw in the towel on you. I was like, oh, no, you'll be getting hugs every time I see you. (laughs) And I'm so happy to hear that that shows up at least in the top three for you. So how can I show love to someone if I'm in a long distance relationship? So, for example, knowing that physical touch is one of my top three, my number one is actually quality time. So knowing that those are two major ones for a lot of people, how does that manifest long distance? When you're in a long distance relationship, touch is not possible on as frequent a basis as we would otherwise have touch involved in a relationship, particularly an intimate relationship. So you have to compensate with the other love languages. You literally do. When you're in a long distance relationship, the burden to show up for your partner in very creative ways, and I would argue somewhat high maintenance ways, because it does feel like tasks that you're doing is much higher. I don't know if you remember, but when I had my last show and I would leave for the month and a half to film, until I had my first season, Steph and I had never spent, maybe we had spent one night apart since we had been, that's very lesbian, Ashton. That's very lesbian. (laughs) Literally from the first date, we did not spend a night apart. Literally from the first date. We are the stereotypical lesbian couple. However, when I was going to the other side of the country to film Famously Single, that all changed. And I was not in control of my schedule, the way I am here in New York and the way I am here in my practice. Thankfully, I had people there 
believe it or not, my makeup artist who became one of my closest friends, my hairstylist, Lindsay, who we love and is mm -hmm. a member of the family, basically, they became such important support people for me in my life because they would make sure that I texted Steph at least twice throughout the day, if not more often than that, because I had to put in more effort to maintain that connection. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a it was a freaky thing. Suddenly, like somebody flies to L.A. and does a television show. We didn't know what that was going to do to our relationship. We had no idea what to expect from that. But certainly while we were apart for that six week period of time repeatedly, the burden was on me to make sure I was connecting with her. The burden was on me to make sure that we were doing bookended phone calls like first thing in the morning, last thing at the end of the day. You came out and saw me season two. You know mm -hmm. damn well how long those days were. The yeah. last thing I wanted to do at the end of the day most often was like FaceTime anybody, but I made sure I did because I had to compensate for the distance between us. So in a long distance relationship, the burden is legitimate. You're going to have to compensate with other ways. So making the connection is just part of it. And then the next step is, you're going to really want to engage in your partner's love language while you're apart so that it's not just your needs getting met, it's your partner's needs getting met. We could talk more about that a little bit later on, but one of the biggest mistakes people make is assuming that, well, my top love language is touch, so Steph's is going to be touch, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so if I date someone who doesn't speak my love language. Is that essential to being completely compatible or is that like a red or yellow flag as to what the forecast of the relationship will look like? Yes and no. Yes, it is much easier. Like when you have shared values and principles, it is much easier to walk the planet together than when you don't. But it doesn't have to be a deal breaker if you don't. And the mm -hmm. same thing goes with love languages. If your your primary love language is the same and at the same level, your relationship style is going to be a lot easier because you speak the same language quite naturally. You appreciate the same things quite naturally, sort of. Our preferences around our specific love languages are going to be different Mm -hmm. for each of us because we each have different ways that we want to see that love language show up. However, right. when you love each other, it is incumbent on each of us to learn how to speak our partner's love language. That yeah. is the key to bridging the gap between our love languages. You have to yeah. try and speak your partner's language. You can have the same love languages and have different preferences around the way you want that to show up in yes. your life and in your right. relationship. And that is the thing that people don't realize about love languages, that mm -hmm. just landing in the same category does not render you mirror images of one another. You right. could have very different preferences for how you want your top love language or any of your love languages to be expressed. So once we get our results, if we're in a relationship... Do we then need to break it down and be more specific with them? Like, yes, I need words of validation, but I need it in this format. Or yes, I need physical touch, but maybe that looks different than like literally coming over and giving me a hug every time you walk past me. 
Yeah, you do have to have that conversation. That's the piece I feel that is missing in the whole conversation about love languages. It's the nuances. You would mm -hmm. think that two people who have mirror images of the same results would be the most compatible people imaginable, the best partners for either of you. You should have it made, but that's not how it turns out. So you have to ask your partner, like, quality time. What does quality time mean for you? Mm. What does it mean yeah. for me? And the ways in which we need quality time with each other. So, for example, there are people for whom quality time means that you're involved and engaged in a very deep conversation with mm -hmm. one another. That's intense. That's kind of that. me. I do Ooh. not require. Is it really? Because we almost yeah. never do that. Part of the reason I love this podcast, and my closest people know this. I don't know if you do, but now you'll know. My favorite part of this is the filming. It's this. It is <laughs> as miserable as the tasks are to get to this point, because for people who are listening, there are 25 steps to every episode yes. that we do in our spare time, which basically we've been calculating the hours. There are many hours of tasks involved with this podcast. They're getting smaller. It's getting much more manageable. Here we are, episode eight. However, there are a lot of tasks involved, and this could be a miserable process, but the the joy I get from getting to, from having to speak to you in a very intentional way and hearing about aspects of your life I would never know about. So that that's the whole joy for me. I am doing this because I love you and because I enjoyed this. But for that- oh, Words of validation like, right there. <laughs> words of affirmation for sure. Words of affirmation, sure. yeah. But going back to quality time, I can be quite content. And that is one of my top so my my number one uh, love language is touch. And then the next three are equal. I am high maintenance in a way that other people can't even wrap their head around in that I'm not particularly proud of. Everything fucking matters to me. This is sort of like how you do anything is how you do everything. This is mm -hmm. why my my need for like performance seems to be consistent across the board, whether I'm making you an egg or I'm rewriting your CV. It, you know, I expect the same level from myself for everything. And like when I have needs, they're kind of consistent. It's very hard for me. Some of that is my ADD. It's hard for me to prioritize what my needs are. So my first love language is touch. And then the next three are quality time, acts of service, and words of affirmation. Hmm. Isn't And so the way I like quality time, I can be quite content to be in the room with you, as you've seen many times, you can be like hunched over on your phone doing your millennial thing and I'm cooking and I feel quite connected. I feel quite connected to you. Same right. thing with watching television. Like I can feel very connected watching TV. We don't have to be doing, you could be reading a book or, you know, doing some work for work. I can feel very connected, just being in the same room with you. To me, that feels like quality time. That could be indicative of a different problem, which I <laughs> might look into, but for sure. No, I'm serious. No. It, really, it really could be. It really could but, be. That's, that's a sign of an avoiding attachment style. I'm hearing it out loud now, and you're hearing it first here. It is well, a sign. I, I think there are also maybe levels to it, because I think that it's different because when I'm in a romantic relationship with somebody, I really do need that mental connection and like that check-in and like 
I want you to poke into my brain and pull out the innermost workings and I want to share it with you and I want to hear yours. But then once we get that out for a little bit, I'm not quite sure on the frequency that I require. I would say like maybe weekly, maybe. I am so chill to literally rot in bed with you and say nothing or listen to music or just bop around the house, but just like knowing that you're there. That means a lot to me as well. But I feel the same way. Like literally when Danielle flies home for holidays, the minute she walks in the door, I can feel my whole nervous system just relax. I don't even oh, have to so see sweet. Her. I know. It's so that's sweet. That's so sweet. Danielle, you I better listen little, to this episode. A little embarrassed, but she'll walk in the door and she she moves like a ghost. She's very quiet. She's undetectable by most people, but the minute she walks in the door, I'm good. And sometimes she walks in the door. She's just gotten off of a flight, has Ubered herself here. And I won't see her for another four or five hours because I'm back to back with patients. But I still feel great because she's in the house. Yeah. yeah. And I feel the same way when you're here, of course. So, I, you know, but there are some people who really need to be engaged in the same exact activity. And there's no right or wrong way for quality time to show up in our lives. But what's important is that we communicate that to each other because if somebody else had a hardcore, quality time as their top love language, I probably would not be scratching their itch. <laughs> I would have to put more of an effort into it and I would need to hear that from them. And I, I think that, and I could be wrong, but a huge factor of quality time is more the intentionality of that person making time to be with you in a capacity. Like it's obviously different if they're making time to hang out with you and they're scrolling on their phone the entire time and you're like, okay, we haven't gotten to that point yet. You need to talk to me. You need to give me something here. That's actually a very valid point, young Ashton. And let me just underscore that. So we're all on our phones a lot. When you first see somebody, that first 10, 15 minutes is so important. Put the phone down for that first 10 or 15 minutes, whether quality time is their top love language or not. Do it mm -hmm. because the person, once they feel that connection to you and, and they've had a little bit of that need met, then it's fine to do it. But initially, the greeting is so important to most mm -hmm. people and in relationships because we've studied this. Gottman has studied. The most important time in your relationship is the first five minutes that you guys see each other and how you say goodbye. The beginning right. and the end, that's what humans remember. That That is very true. And I'm not gonna get too anecdotal about my personal experiences, but I've seen such a shift in past relationships to even somebody that I've been like seeing for like a month and a half. And it's like, whoa, that felt so good to have someone just greet you at the door with a huge mm -hmm. smile on their face and give you a hug and even give you a kiss. And it's like, I had to ask for that from my last relationship because I felt awkward. Even though I knew that we weren't awkward people, I was like, hello, would you, would you like to embrace me? And when you say I had to ask for it, Ashton, you have to ask for it in every relationship. Mm. So I don't want that to feel like a compromise on your end. You have to tell people what you need, what feels good. And they're just lucky that they're with somebody who knows what she needs and knows mm -hmm. what she wants. And I'm glad that you've had a comparison and contrast and you're able to For see sure. how much it means to you now when you get that 
whether it's organic or you've beaten it into the person, not mm-hmm. literally, guys, but figuratively. Yeah. So what are the biggest mistakes that people make about love languages? If there's any of that we like really missed here. The biggest mistake that people make with their love languages is they learn their love language. They fail to learn their partner's love language or the people in their lives love language. And they expect their partner to speak their language instead of them speaking their partner's love language. So knowing that words of affirmation is your top love language, I need to be mindful of that. And I need to be better at letting you know the things I appreciate about you. I'm not blowing glitter up your skirt. I would never do that. I can't lie. I can't I can't pretend. My face shows everything. There's no amount there's no amount of botox that could paralyze my face enough <laughs> for every emotion that I feel to not be like written on my face. So, I have to dig down and carve out the time to make sure that I am watering our relationship and speaking your love language instead of expecting you to speak mine, which is everything, is words of affirmation and all the rest. Basically, you got to do it all at 100% for me, which is, of course, ridiculous and sets me up to be disappointed basically in every relationship because who's going to do that? Nobody's going to do that. I've never even actually seen results where every single love language is at the same level, all of which is to say, we have to speak our partners and our loved ones' love language. It's like if we were to go to another country, we wouldn't expect, I hope, that everybody speaks English. That is an American trope that other people all over the world make fun of Americans for because we do tend to expect everywhere we go, people are just going to speak English and it doesn't work that way. We have to speak the language in the land that we're in. And in the land that we're in, in relationships, the language is our partner's language. So obviously, since we've already talked about this a bit, love languages don't just apply to our partners. They apply to the other people in our lives. Can our love languages shift a bit based on what we need from our partner versus what we need from somebody else? So for example, physical touch is very important to me with a partner. It is not so much as important to me to get from like my mom or my dad. It's like, I, I literally like don't require that. Like a hug is great, but like, I'm fine with that. Is that possible? Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I can imagine it changing from partner to partner, person to person within your life. Your mom is quite affectionate. Yes. And she's given me shit for not being cuddly and cozy with her, which I do feel badly. Sorry, mom doing my best. Kendra, direct it all here. I'm I'm a plant that's dying to be watered. Please cuddle all you need. Yeah, it it's fine. Why don't you like the affection with your mom? Um it's not just her. I don't know. I really just crave it from my partner because it feels reassuring to me. Maybe I just don't need that level of assurance from my family and some because of my friends. Because you're already secure? Secure, yes. Ooh, realization. Yeah, that must be it. I feel so secure in other ways that I don't require that need to be met through them. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, and obviously, especially with touch, it's very personal. Boundaries are really important. Mm-hmm. Articulating our needs and preferences for intensity of the needs to be met is really, really important. So 
Good on you for having told her. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love when my friends give me a hug or when they're laughing so hysterically that they like grab my shoulder or like put their hand like on my thigh like they're laughing Mm -hmm. or, you know, like I I love those things. I don't I don't mind them, but I'm definitely not that girly like walking down the street hand in hand with her besties, though I'm not opposed to it. It's just like it depends on the situation. And I think that as you continue to grow and mature like everybody, you'll crave and be tolerant of different levels of intensity. Mm -hmm. You know, touch is a great example of the ways in which our love languages can be complex. Not all touch is the same. Right. Not all touch is what we're craving. For a lot of people, touch really is about affection and Mm -hmm. reassurance and communicating love in a non-sexual way. There are some people who think that if touch is their top love language, that means that they all touch leads to sex. Mm-hmm. And I don't know too many people who are down for that. So touch does not always necessarily mean something sexual or something that's meant to lead to sex. And that makes a lot of sense. But I want to talk about a love language that I don't often hear a lot of people ranking in, and that is receiving gifts. Who doesn't love to get a gift? Let's let's be serious. But what does this mean truly? Mm-hmm. Some people may view this as materialism. It's the idea that when you were separate, your loved one, your friend, your partner, your daughter, your mother thought about you and thought, my person would appreciate this. And it can be as simple as a card, a note a lipstick. It doesn't have to be a high ticket purchase. It can be a very small thing. People who appreciate receiving gifts aren't necessarily materialistic. In fact, I would argue that that's not, those two things aren't correlated whatsoever. It's about feeling thought of when Mm -hmm. you're apart. It's about what that represents. We weren't together and still my partner thought of me. It's the only love language other than acts of service that can happen when you're away from each other. The others have to happen in person, like in tandem, but a gift you can do whether the person's with you or not. And it's really, I've never met anyone for whom it's about the dollar amount, unless it's like one of those major life gifts that people tend to expect. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. The push present. Yeah. Which I think is like, yeah, kind of silly. Ring. I, I, I judge it oh, all. I less it silly, all. but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I judge it all, says the girl with a rock. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I really, it was very important to me until I had one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a reflection of me. You're super not alone in that category. I mean, I really, that's not really important to me. But I know so many people who it is important to. And that's Mm -hmm. that's fine. That's fine. You like what you like. You want what you want. Fine. With gifts, it can be as small as a book. Books are great things to get people if that's their Mm -hmm. love language. They're so thoughtful. Think of all the thought, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Think of all the thought that has to go into giving somebody a gift. I mean, a book rather. Yeah, because you want to obviously get them something they're going to like and that they're interested in. Obviously, I wouldn't be giving people self-help books unless that's something that they have (laughs) Um, really expressed wanting to improve on because that is could that be misconstrued. Oh, that's like giving your friend who is slightly insecure a book on how to not be insecure and own your life. And your friend's like, what? Wait a minute. 
What? Well, we mostly reserve that kind of shit. And I've been guilty of this. I was that girl. We mostly reserve that kind of gift for our partners. Which could also of maybe not always land. A hundred percent. It totally. I'm surprised to hear that you've never done that for a partner. For done a guy. What? You've n- never gotten a guy a self-help book or suggested like a self-helpy thing to do together. Um, I have, and one of them was the love language quiz. Another was like the personality type quiz when one of my boyfriends was like kind of struggling to figure out like what he was looking for in his career or like how to be better. I was like, oh my God, I love talking about this. Let me direct you to some resources. But something else that I did is my partner was feeling a little um, insecure. I literally sat down one day and I wrote a list of all of the things that I liked and loved about him down to like, I love the way this one piece of hair curls behind your ear, or I love the way you laugh at this TV show. And I printed it out and I gave it to him. And I was like, read this when you're feeling down or whenever you need it. And he was literally so overwhelmed. One of my favorite gifts that I ever received was that book that you made me. It's one of those fill in the blank books. It was like one of those books where it has prompts about the person and what you love about them, memories, what you like about them, things that remind you of them. Everyone would love to like have a reminder of what people in their life love about them because we Mm -hmm. forget. And it takes the pressure off of you having to be like a poet. Yeah. Because the prompts ask you. They do. They guide you. Okay. So at this point, we have touched on, well, touch, receiving gifts. (laughs) And I want to go more into acts of service. So this is kind of like in my head, acts of service registers to me as me seeing my partner struggling with something or me, I guess, doing something for them. But can we get more specific about what this means? I mean, you nailed it. I hadn't really even thought of acts of service as like seeing your partner struggle and offering to help or offering to like talk through something. Whenever I think of acts of service, I'm thinking about, you know, the roommate that doesn't pick up after themselves or like the house guest who doesn't offer to help or says, can I do anything instead of getting up and actually doing something or instead of saying, what can I do? So some of it is the phrasing, but it's essentially pitching the hell in. That's a really important one for me, as you can tell by my tone, because mm-hmm. particularly people who are on the anal end of the spectrum, I don't mean that sexually, I mean that retentively in terms of organization, um, people who are like type A's and like everything in place and, you know, like their their house organized and things like that. When the person is cooking or cleaning very few things feel as powerful as being like having the person stand up and say, what can I do? Because you've already stood up now. Now I know your words aren't bullshit mm-hmm. and, and you're really offering, but it's really about being attuned, being plugged into what another person's experience is, trying to understand what their stress points are, what their pain points are, and then attempting to fill in the gaps. So that could be a a literal contribution. Um, Teach somebody, take the time to show somebody how to do something. Mm -hmm. So like if you have a parent who's struggling with technology, 
every kid's worst nightmare and every parent's like wish that the kid's just going to come and show them how to do it all and make it all go all the all the cobwebs go away if you can offer to do that that really goes a long way it really does because nobody really wants we all want to relax no matter how type a you are most people who are type a are that way because they feel like if they don't do it nobody else will it's not that they grew up wanting to be type A. Nobody looks at somebody like me and says, gee, that looks comfortable. Let me try and be like her. No, there's nothing about this that looks comfortable, nor is there anything comfortable about being neurotic. Uh -huh. But it is what it is. So that's how I think of acts of service. How do you think of acts of service? I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, even though it's not my top three, it is right below. It's my fourth, I believe. It means like, you know, something is going on in my life that is really stressing me out and you've gone out of your way to think of a way to make it easier for me or you just do it. So if I'm super stressed out with work and I'm just going through it, it's like you, I guess, more partner or friend wise, honestly, maybe like coworker even like, do you want me to answer this email for you? I see that you're mm -hmm. struggling. Sometimes yeah. a not a stranger, but like fresh eyes can do it in an objective way that we feel incapable of muddling that, our way through. That too. I think personally for me, it's more like acknowledging my struggle and trying to do something to make me feel better. So like maybe getting me a coffee when I'm like super tired and I'm just like not having it. Or when I come home from work, like, hey, don't worry about dinner tonight. I'll figure something out. I found a movie we can watch, whatever. Like that means so much to me because it means that my brain doesn't need to think. Those are and the two least favorite decisions of the day and of my life for me. What are we going to eat and what are we going to watch? What are we going to watch? And every relationship I have ever been in, that is the most hotly discussed topic. And it always goes, no, you pick. No, you pick. Oh, I don't want to watch that. Oh, I don't want that. And but, it can look like you're accommodating the other, but it's really just passing the buck. Nobody wants to make those decisions, which is why yeah. my life has vastly improved having these uh, meal plan delivery services mm -hmm. because I get five meals a week for dinner. I, I mean, I have five paper bags with recipes, so I have a choice of five things. It's very simple. Yeah. Less choices for me are much better. Yeah. And yeah. streaming suggestions, please send them in. Anything to watch on TV. <laughs> I love no, documentaries. Literally. I've recently <laughs> begun watching Bravo, but like I can only watch so much of that because I really need to keep my IQ at least where it is. I can't afford to lose any points. Really can't. Yeah. Please email your suggestions to um, our podcast email. We'll review them very earnestly. I will literally watch them. You don't have to. She will literally to watch them. them. I, will, I will watch them. Tell me why you like a thing and I'll be happy to look at it for you. Yes. Give us a title and one very strong sentence as to why you like it. Easy. <sighs> okay. So that's acts of service. Um, and now I want to talk about words of affirmation, which is super important to me. And again, I don't know what this says about me, but does this tend to have a personality type? And if it does... I'm just going to take a gander and guess it's probably someone who's anxious. Okay, maybe. I hadn't thought of it like that. We all need words of affirmation. We all need words of affirmation. Could it be indicative of somebody needing reassurance or being a little insecure? Perhaps. It depends on how much of it they need. And do you as the partner feel like you're playing fucking whack-a-mole? Like, like they're... Like they're 
like there's no landing strip of of uh, Velcro on their soul. Your words kind of like roll right off like it's Teflon. If you're constantly being asked to repeat the same stuff over and over again, your your partner's like, I'm going to use the age old like, does my butt look okay? You know, <laughs> that's exhausting. That is exhausting yes. to be on the receiving end because there's only one right answer. You can In never that situation, be yeah. with that. You can never be honest with that. So everybody needs words of affirmation. We need them at different to different degrees and at different frequencies, depending on who we're receiving it from. But I don't think it points necessarily towards someone with low self-esteem or someone who needs massive amounts of reassurance. I think early on in a relationship, we do need massive amounts of reassurance. Mm -hmm. We do want yep. to be letting the person that we're crushing on or dating on know that we're thinking about them. And if we want to be thought of, send a text that says, hello, can I get some attention? I mean, you can ask for your needs to be met in really cute ways that don't land as desperate or as off-putting. We have to be able to ask for our needs to be met and also recognize when somebody is like giving us the thing that we're asking for mm -hmm. and not not asking like we're a bottomless well for the same thing again and again and again. It's really hard, well, for me sometimes to ask for what I need depending on what it is. And like, I do require a certain level of attention. I don't want someone stuck to me like Velcro, but like, I do like having pretty consistent communication when possible throughout the day. Like, I don't need to text you every hour of the day, but it's super nice to know that someone is thinking of you. It's more about the content of what you're saying versus the consistency, I guess. Interesting. Um, so you don't want someone to just phone it in and be like, Thinking of you, heart. No, I love that. I love that. Oh, okay. I love that. But it's more like if someone's just texting me like, what are you doing? Or did you see this, this or that? It's like, yeah, that's cool. I'm happy to engage in that conversation. But sometimes I need meaningful reminders like, hey, I was thinking of you. I hope you're having a great day. Or I saw this and I thought of you, mm -hmm. thought you would laugh. It, it's like intentional because I love that. I love things like that. And it's, that for me is not an insecurity, but I guess it more just speaks to, I want to feel thought of. And depending on who you're needing it from and where yes. you are in the relationship, you'll need different amounts. You don't need mm -hmm. as much from people that you've had in your life for decades yeah, as you do from yeah. somebody new. And that's for important sure. to note. So words of affirmation, like you have to build that foundation. Mm -hmm. that makes people feel secure and tight and attached to you, literally. Yeah. And you have to say what that looks like, which I can be bad at, but I am good at when someone does it for me, letting them know that I really like that. Like that's that great. meant a lot to me. So that's so easy. How do, you, <laughs> how do you let them know when you don't like it? Hmm. I don't think I've ever like not liked something. It's more just been an absence of something that I would like. I mean, I guess the prior example where like my last partner would like walk in into the room after like a day of work and then just kind of sit down and be a little bit like, blah, I was like, hmm, well, this feels weird. Luckily he brought it up and I was like, yeah, it would be great if you could come over and kiss me. Like we've been dating for like 
three months now. Um, I'm not your roommate. So feel free to loosen up a bit. You also can stand up and greet them and try to model the behavior. Yeah. You don't want to be painfully direct and say, hey, when I walk in the door, could you stand up? Or you can walk over to them if you're going to their place. Well, I do. I did. The hug. Yeah, I did. But maybe it wouldn't have killed me to go in for the kiss. Like it wouldn't have killed me to like start the start the engines. But I'm I'm an anxious person. But rejection scares me. Right. And the path through that is to test drive the vulnerability and and mask the evidence that it doesn't kill you. And in fact, it results in you getting what you want when you're vulnerable and you ask for what you want. So would you rather just sit and wrestle your anxiety yourself or possibly have somebody meet your needs and just directly ask for it? Look, sometimes the answer is going to be no, or sometimes the answer will be yes, and it just won't happen, which is the Mm -hmm. worst. Yeah, that sounds right. But at least you've asked. At least you've asked. Yeah, that is an active lesson that I am working on with myself, especially now as I am dating again and navigating potential new relationships and connections. It's like, this is a great opportunity for me to set the stage of something that I need or want and work on it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's a nice stretch for 2024 for you. So let's just broaden the conversation for a hot minute. Chapman has come up with five love languages, and I argue that there are many others, Mm. one of which is terms of endearment. They matter so much to me. They matter so much to me. There's, they're highly correlated with a secure attachment style. And nicknames are a part of that. The point of this is that you want to zoom out of these five love languages and ask yourself, in what ways am I not represented in this list? And then identify that as your very own love language. So For me, as I just said, terms of endearment and nicknames, I'm huge on them. There are four people in my life who get them, and you're one of them. Everybody else just gets, I hope, a a relatively pleasant version of Darcy, but they're not going to get that. They're not going to get any of that shit from me. And you're welcome in advance (laughs) for that. Nobody (laughs) wants that from their therapist. But... Imagine. You'll get it. Weird. <gasps> but you'll get that. You will get that from me. And so that really matters to me to be able to express my love that way. Another way in which some people express their love is through humor. We are big on humor. Yeah, totally. A, ro- a, a subtle roast, if you will. I love a little bit of a roast because it means that you know me well enough to roast me properly. So you know my feelings, A, won't get hurt, or B, I'll find it quite funny. And C, it draws us together and creates like an inside joke moment, which I think inside jokes are super, a super great way of bonding and and expressing fondness for somebody as well. Me too. I love a gentle roast. I don't Mm -hmm. like it when it tips into douchebaggery and I won't tolerate that. I don't really get that, thank God, in my life. But I can imagine some people using that and then like 10xing it to a level that nobody would appreciate. Mm-hmm. So it, it has to be a gentle roast, a yeah. little ball busting, because what it does is it it communicates to me that you feel tight enough with me that you can tease me and we're going to be good. Mm-hmm. I love that. I mm-hmm. love that. It communicates such security in a relationship. 
Nothing I love better than a little ball busting, a little ovary busting. <laughs> Let's make this more inclusive, ovary busting. That's right. That's right. Are so I want people to think through the ways in which another way that people express their love in a language that's not listed because Chapman is a dude, but like think of the extent to which food matters to me. Mm. I am such a nurturer through food. All I want to do is feed people. I just want to cook and I just want to feed you. That's how my mother showed nurturing. My fondest childhood memories slash my only good ones were always around the holiday dinners. You know, those were the times when we kept it together and we didn't act the way we did when people weren't around. And I really, really loved those moments in my childhood. And so I've carried that on. You know, I used to be a restaurateur. I sometimes feel like a very frustrated one who needs to open another lounge or cafe or I don't know. Are we ready for a club yet, Ashton? We can call it therapy. Well, you know I'm always ready for a club. <laughs> I know you're ready for I'm a club. I'm always ready I'm for not a ready. club. I have to wait until the midlife crisis is over before I'm ready to bite into something new or until this podcast has its own legs and can walk. On we can own. call it We Need to Dance with Dr. Darcy. <gasps> but again, coming back to love languages, so food is quite a way in which I nurture. Mm -hmm. And lots of people nurture that way. That, that's, right. very, that's very common. So mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself, what are the ways in which I nurture? Some people nurture through teaching. Mm. Most kids don't appreciate that so much, especially after yeah. a certain age. But that is a form of attempting to demonstrate your love for another, to, yeah. to capitalize on teachable moments. I do that, I realize, in partnerships. Like, I love to do that in small ways, too. So now that we've covered the basics of love languages, I hope everyone, you have not taken the quiz yet, please take it. Even if you're not in a romantic relationship, you should know what your love languages are so you know what you're looking for, in my humble opinion. It's linked below so in the show notes. And so you can understand why certain things really land on you and on your soul mm -hmm. in such a meaningful way. And other things just roll off your back. Like, why would that matter to me? I hope everyone takes the quiz. We're curious to hear how it works out for you. And yeah. on that note, would you read us out? We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy is a Sterling Standard production. This episode was produced by Darcy Sterling with editorial support from Vicki Vergolina. Editing by Bart McGall and Stephanie Sterling. Our theme music is by Trending Music. Special thanks to Amanda Cristiani. If you like today's show, please follow us by searching We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you'd like for us to answer on a future episode, please send us an email to Darcy at AskDRDarcy.com. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode packed with relationships and dating hacks you won't get anywhere else. Thank you, Ashton. Thank you. Thank you.